There we are. Out of Friday, the John Curley Sherry Elliger Show, and you along for the ride. Thank you. Writing to us at MyNorthwest.com. Coming into that steep roofing text line, one 776 I heard um, Jack Stein and Spike talking about that horrible story out of Redmond with the uh, podcaster and the father. I think the, the husband was found, right, uh, Aaron, there in the front yard. Um, the, the woman's killed. The mother had escaped. The guy killed himself. And they're pretty sure he was a just a super serious, obviously stalker, sick fan of this podcast. Um, and uh, I don't know. I guess at a certain point they're going to find out if did she notify the police? Was she concerned at all? Had she yeah. talked about it? She yeah. had. Indeed. Right? Yeah, she, yeah. Uh, she was working on getting a restraining order. From the from the guy, but as you heard the police chief say during our newscast, that you know just because you do have a restraining order, that doesn't stop from somebody from breaking it. And right. this guy was clearly intent on harming her. Mm. This had been going on for months, according right. to police. She, I think, first reached out to them in December. Uh-huh. Um, so it, it and then it, it escalated and kept escalating. At one point, he called a hundred times in one day. Sent the woman gifts. Showed up at her door before, mm-hmm. um, and. Obviously, it, it didn't work out. <laughs> it's, that it's, the, it's the as the police chief said, the worst case scenario for, <sighs> for a stalker case. God, yeah, it is so strange. You know, you didn't really realize. You don't realize until you get into this business that you know you you, you develop as amazing as the relationships are that you develop with a listener or a viewer, right, Sherry, or somebody with a podcast or somebody that reads whatever your work is. You can create really interesting, fun relationships with people. I know I've met a lot of people that listen to this show and through the years for Evening Magazine. But then just as wonderful as the people can be, there can be just some people that just have a screw loose that something about you as a person all of a sudden takes over their life and then they develop this sickness to want to be in touch with you. You've been in that business for, what's 30-some years. Have you ever had a, a close call with a stalker? Yeah. I When I was doing traffic on television, um, a guy kept calling me, and he would talk to me, and I wouldn't cut him off. I felt sorry for him. And he'd be really sweet and te- you know, say, oh, you look so pretty today or whatever. And I'd say, okay, i got to go because I had to do something else. Mm-hmm. But I never said to him, you're making me uncomfortable or please don't call me anymore. And so one day, um, and I really didn't tell anybody. I thought, thought he was harmless. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't any security in the studio. So somebody could walk in. Um, this was when I worked doing traffic. So I wasn't at, at Channel 9. I was actually in the traffic studio. And you could walk right into the lobby and walk right into the to the main studio where all the anchors were. And so one day I, I was turning around to do a hit. and um, You should explain what doing. a hit is, sure. Because Chris oh, Martin it, suddenly perked up. <laughs> it's, it's a, you know, a report, a traffic report. Okay, all right. And um, there was a guy standing in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, who's this guy? And so I did my report, and then I, he said, hi, I'm, you know, the guy. I'm so-and-so. And I said, oh, hey, listen, I'm so sorry you can't be in here because we've got people working. And anyway, I went, and I said, I'll be right back. And I went and got my boss, and they escorted him out. And the next day, they put in a huge security system where you had to do a code or a card or something nice. like that because of it. He didn't do anything to me, but it was very creepy that he figured out how to get to me. Yeah, I um, 
I work with an anchor. I, you know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah, and I won't say her name, but in Boston, she became she did radio like you, and then became and then moved over to TV. When she was in radio, she working overnights, and this guy she was talking about. Oh, I didn't get a chance to stop and get something to eat. I'm so hungry. The man listening sends a roast beef sandwich to the studio. The rule of radio and TV, which I don't abide by, which is don't eat anything that a listener sends. That's right. Um, what I do is I take it and then put my name on it and then hand it to the people that work here. And if, if they're okay, then I eat it. Um, Chris, how was that? Okay. How, how was that bud cake I brought Food in earlier? <laughs> a little chewy, but sure, it's not bad. Bad. You'll be fine. Um, Xlox is good for you. So um, the guy sends a roast beef sandwich. Of course, she, following the rule of radio and TV, she doesn't eat it. In fact, she says to the delivery guy, oh, that's very nice, but I, I don't really know. That's fine. And sends it away. Five years later, she gets a call from this guy, some guy, who says, oh, by the way, I'm friends with Matt and Maddie. And, uh, you know, I'm getting married. I know they're getting married. And I'm uh, going to be on we're going to be one of Matt's best men. You know, I'm going to be there at the wedding. I'm sure you're going to be there as well. So he had a whole bunch of names and a whole bunch of situations that he was saying to this woman who I know who was now on television there in Boston. And she's like, oh, I, I'm coming into town. I can't wait. I'd love to see you. I'd love to meet you. He ta- Those guys talk about you all the time. And she kind of let her guard down because the guy was really hitting all these names and all these situations. She said, oh, I must, must know Matt and Maddie, whatever the names of the people were. And so she, he goes, let's grab coffee. Okay. Just before she's, they're gonna, he's downstairs in the lobby now. Just before she calls and says to the police, I have a really strange feeling. Of course, she's a big name in Boston, so they immediately respond. Um, they said, just wait a couple of minutes. We'll send a cruiser over. So she waits a little while. The guy calls again. Hey, you coming down? I'm in the lobby. I'll be right down. Right. Yep. I'll be right down. She goes down into the lobby, and the guy is standing there, and she doesn't recognize him, and he looks a little crazy, and the police are behind him on the other side of the glass. The door is open, and he starts screaming, Why didn't you eat the roast beef sandwich I sent you? I sent you a roast beef sandwich. You didn't eat it. You said you were hungry. I was trying to take care of you, and you didn't eat the roast beef sandwich. You sent the roast beef sandwich away. She's thinking, oh. the hell? What the hell? And the cops grab the guy and he's screaming and yelling. He's like, I said, you said you're hungry. And I sent that roast beef sandwich, but you didn't need it. You didn't need it. You are you too good for me? And I mean, just like nuts. And then, I mean, I'm sure she had run into this sort of stuff before, but her sort of spidey senses had kicked in. Like, this seems a little weird. And from that time on, man, oh, man, I never met him. And obviously, for good reason, a more guarded individual when it came to all that stuff. And I remember saying, well, that person seems like, be very careful, very careful. I was really? Yeah. I mean, she was almost to the point of, you know, she was shunning people or, you know, asking for this. And she was so paranoid at that point. And for good reason. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah. And you don't know if if she hadn't called the police and alerted them. And she was who knows not not protected. Right. What could have happened? I mean, he was he was probably angling to do something more than just yell her yell oh, her yeah. off the roastery sandwich. Oof. Yeah, but it is weird. I mean, because you don't want to be ever unkind to somebody, and you don't want to be. Um, 
you know, uh, you, you want to, you certainly appreciate the fact that people are listening and they think you're friends with them and all that. So, and 99.9% of people are wonderful. They really are. Yeah. It's just that, you know, you, you can give the illusion or sometimes people think that, um, you have, they have a real relationship with you. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that the clinics would play Misty? Wasn't play Misty it? for me, yeah. Yeah, same sort of situation. Then the, here's the other thing. That's the same woman. I told the other story. I told this one before. This guy starts sending her letters. This is before email. And starts saying, hey, b- by the way, I'm trying to send you messages through the television, but you're not getting them because the guy sitting to the right of you, this is we're doing live television, live studio audience. The guy sitting to the right of you is blocking all the messages. They are getting through the television. I know they're getting to you because I see that you touch your hair when I send them, but um, the guy is blocking most of the messages. So I have to make sure. So they start send- he starts sending these letters, and I'm the guy to the right of her. So they called the... The authorities, they come in, they're reading the letters. The one guy goes, listen, there's nothing we can do until he makes a direct threat against you. There's nothing we can do. But once he uses a direct threat against you and you're using the U.S. mail service to send that threat, then that's a federal offense or whatever, blah, blah, blah. You get, then you have a problem. But for as of right now, just continue to monitor and keep us in the loop. So the two guys, I don't know where they were from, FBR or whatever, they're walking out of the building. One guy goes, hey, 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 come here, come here. So I back up. I said, he goes, give me some, let me give you some advice. Don't be the first one into a train, under a train. You know why? No, why? So you're standing on the platform. The guy's behind you. The train's pulling in. He pushes you in front of it. <gasps> Don't be the first guy in the crosswalk. Same thing, bus. Right? <gasps> watch, you, watch you make your food. Go to a bar. Watch with your drink. And then he goes in. Can I give you one more piece of advice? You go, you just get a gun. But you didn't hear that from me. I said, really? Because, yeah. I'm just telling you right now. Because the disadvantage is he knows what you look like. You don't know what he looks like. Well, oh, I know. I, the, I know. It's horrible, right? Now I'm completely why, yeah, paranoid. I know. Why would anybody no want to be No public transportation. Yeah, yeah. It's just terrible. So then, like, the letters keep coming, but he isn't. He just keeps talking about me blocking, but nothing about me. I'm going to get that guy and stick him in a big vat of oil or boil, you know, acid or whatever he's going to do to me. I told you this story. He showed up at the studio. We got about 100 people in the studio. He shows up with a giant, I told you this, right? Homemade Barney head. Big purple homemade barney here with paper mache and uh, chicken uh, wire. And he's sitting in the audience, and I'm, oh, I don't know who he is. And he's in a tuxedo. And I'm just making fun of him the whole time because it was like, hey, that's a good, yeah, that's a good foil. Just every once in a while, yeah. just turn around and go, Barney, you with us? We're going to go commercial break. Barney, hang on, you know. And um, then the show ends, and the audience leaves. And then my co host turns to me and says, I think that's the guy. Say, what? Mm. I think that's the guy. I think that's the guy, the guy that's up there. So she gets off the chair. The cameras are going to be pushed back into their spots. The stage manager comes out. They call the executive producer over, and she goes, I think that's the guy, the guy. Because he's not leaving. He's still sitting in his chair. Oh. So two security guards go up to him. Sir, show's over. going to have to ask you to leave. And he says something, and then my co-host goes, that's him. I want to see him. That's him. So he goes to stand up, and he has the engage he has an engagement ring in his hand, and the two security guards grab his Barney head and start tearing it apart, pulling the paper mache and all the stuffing and the foam out of it and everything else. And they and he's holding on to it. He's really sad. He's oh, no, no, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Which isn't the way the song goes. <laughs> And then they pull the whole head off the guy. And he's this little, sad, wimpy guy. Looks like Wally Shawn. And he's holding out the ring. He's like, I just wanted to marry you. I just wanted to marry you. 
I love you. Oh, that's like, heartbreaking. I know, I mean, it's so just, sad. It's so bad for people. And uh, I kept thinking, wow, I didn't ride any buses because of that guy. <laughs> no, I just, it was pathetic. I don't know what they did. They just, you know, cops came, wheeled them off. I mean, I don't know they what don't the crime do is. I, I, I can't remember. There's probably no crime. You can't commit any crime no. on that. Other than the fact, I, you know, I, Barney had... And that's the thing is that people have advocated for, um, I don't know if you remember the uh, actress Rebecca Schaefer. Right. And she had a stalker and they didn't do anything about it. I mean, she called and called and the guy would be outside of her window and all of that stuff. But he didn't do anything. He may have been trespassing or something minor like that, but they can't arrest somebody if you, they haven't really made a direct threat or they've just if they've just been annoying, you, you can't charge them with anything. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, he killed her. She walked out of her apartment and he, and he shot her. Yeah. It's, um, there was, when Paula, uh, was working for the, uh, Seattle social worker, she was a social worker and there was a woman who was always, uh, having threats against Bill Clinton. And I remember she was that was one of her clients she had many clients and this woman had all sorts of mental problems and stuff but still Paula would see her twice a week as a social worker working with her with her meds and you know seeing how she's doing with counseling and stuff and every time the president would be coming to town the woman would just disappear they would send secret service or somebody would come in and they would I don't know arrest her or take her out but take her or put her somewhere and she would just be gone for like three days and then Clinton would leave. He'd come into town for a fundraiser or whatever. Then he'd leave and then she would reappear again. But they knew who, where these threats were coming from and they just thought, well, that's one we're going to be watching. Yeah. Mm. That's uh, a tragic, horrible story. What um, a terrible story. Yeah. And, and I don't even know what, do you even know what the podcast was? No, I was wondering about that, what kind of podcast they were doing um, and if there's any you know, connection or if he just, and if they were a husband and wife, was he just fixated on the wife? Um, Hmm. uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's just so awful and so unnecessary. Let me ask you this. I know you're not a big gun person. I didn't ask you Trevor is, or I assume he is, but if you had, if you all of a sudden start to get letters and a hundred phone calls a day, wouldn't you go out and buy a gun? No, you wouldn't. No, I wouldn't trust myself to use it. I I'd be afraid that I'd, I don't know. I I just I just don't think I would I don't think I would be confident enough to really use it. I know, but Sherry, let's say you're in there alone and somebody you know they bash the door in. Cops aren't gonna get there, Trevor's not home, he's somewhere else. And you know this person has been calling you a hundred times a day, they've been sending you emails, been listening to your show, they're obviously completely obsessed with you. You wouldn't want that added protection. Because you know the two dogs aren't going to do anything. <laughs> well, they're 13, so it may be difficult for them to really right. defend me at this point. But I, I mean, yes, if it were that, if it were that extreme, then I think I would be able to to learn how to use it. But that's the thing is I'd have to learn how to use the gun because chances are, you know, I'd try to use it and it would backfire or something bad would happen and it would make it worse. And or or I would be worried that if I shot and missed, he'd shoot me then. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I'm backfiring. I'm going to re- recommend not getting a, you know, a revolutionary war musket. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that part of your collection? Yeah, the black, <laughs> the black powder and the ball. 
Yeah. Isn't that the one I saw the and other the day? the ramrod. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Sherry. So now place the musket ball in and make sure you use enough black powder. Keep it dry, remember. And the ramrod. Push that down with a little bit of cotton. Yeah, and you can only do that when now, you're wearing a special hat. Don't let it backfire on you. Yeah. <laughs> Look out for the backfire. I didn't mean backfire. I mean that it would the plan would backfire, not oh, necessarily yeah. the gun. I got the, you. the plan you. would be like, okay, that didn't really work, did it? Got it. Yeah. Let's give the yeah. remaining amount of time to this ridiculous story that was in the Seattle Times of the fact that uh, cats, and you know, they they are smart because they can say I love you. <laughs> nice Rob, I love you too. Uh, and that cat is uh, apparently, according to the Seattle Times, because of daylight savings times coming up, cats are going to have a hard time with this. Yeah, cats and dogs are very sensitive to routine. So yes. when your routine changes by an hour or so, uh-huh. um, they, the, they get the very The cat's going to translate this while you're talking. Go yeah. ahead. What the hell is that, Chris? It's like a cat. It was like a bunch of cats chattering while they watch birds. Okay, all right. <laughs> all talking about daily saving time. <laughs> What's gonna, what are you going to do? I don't know. And I say to the cat, okay, you know what? Just for you, Mittens, I'm not going to change the clock. And the cat says, I love you too, Mittens. I love you too. So the cats are going to be upset? Cats are going to be upset. You're supposed to start training them. You're supposed to start adjusting them a few days before it happens, like getting your dog out 15 minutes earlier, that type of thing. Who's going to do that? Nobody. This this applies to people that have at least 18 or more cats in their house. (laughs) Right. Or, or all the time in the world to yeah. adjust. Because the dog's never going to adjust. They figure it out. They get it. They're right. smarter than that. That's right. You know what this cat has to say to you, Sherry? <laughs> I love you, too. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Kitty. Yeah, uh, There's Nate over there. Beacon Plumbing Traffic Desk. Cats love you. Dogs love you. People love you, Nate. Let go. Oh, that's nice, Sherry. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, that's good. All right. <laughs> cat loves you. Cat loves Bucky's. Bucky's Auto Service Centers, no matter how you say it, in English or in cat talk. Take your, take your car to Bucky's. Bucky. I get Chris like 16 cat sounds, and he picks the one where the cat sounds like a bird. So jealous. Bucky's. Bucky's Auto Service Center. 16 locations. Been around for 52 years. That's a place to take the car of yours. I think it was um, LBJ said, well, when you lose Walter Cronkite, we've lost the war. Right. Because Walter Cronkite took those glasses off and wiped his brow and talked about Vietnam and all the bodies and everything else. It was that guy. That, see, that guy was speaking for America. I don't know how liberals feel, but, you know, when Woody Harrelson a couple of weeks ago was on Saturday Night Live and did the monologue about, well, if you missed it. Start reading. Okay. So the movie goes like this. He says he got the strangest script. He's got this weirdest script sent to him in the mail. The biggest drug cartels in the world get together and buy up all the media and all the politicians and force all the people in the world to stay locked in their homes and people can only come out if they take the cartel's drugs and keep taking them over and over. I threw the script away. I mean, who is going to believe that crazy idea? The audience, which basically all, you know, kind of lean hard left... So Woody hits him with the final joke on the thing. Being forced to do drugs? I do that voluntarily all day long. They didn't exactly laugh at the part about the strange script. So you've lost Woody, right? Talking about all of the um, vaccines and the COVID and everything else. And then the other day, did you see Sean Penn was on with Bill Maher? 
I watched the clip of it, yes. So and Bill Maher's another one that has become a lot more in the middle than ever before. Right. As Bill would probably say, not to put words in his mouth, it's like Ronald Reagan said, I didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left me. Mars like, just, you know, just keeping it real, right? You know, pointing out all this woke stuff. So here's Sean Penn and Bill Maher. They're sitting there chatting. And uh, Sean Penn. I'm waiting in the wings in this auditorium, and I'm hearing the introduction. And by the way, he's going to speak at this college and there's a bunch of protesters that are out front. I don't know why they're protesting him. And there's a bunch of protesters have gotten in as well and there's security and stuff. But so Sean Penn's going to speak. I don't know what the topic was, but I don't know why there'd be protesters there. But Sean is there and everybody knows he's a big lib and they just assume, you know, he's going to be out there and going to be you know singing from the hymnal. At some point, close to saying, and now, ladies and gentlemen, Sean Penn and I come out. They mentioned the movie Milk. Yeah. And it got got a big applause. You know, Milk, uh, Mm -hmm. first gay out. uh, Was he a prosecutor? I forget his official position in California. Anyway, he was killed. um, And Sean Penn got nominated or won an award playing uh, Mm -hmm. Mr. Harvey Milk. Harvey Milk. Okay. And I was listening to that applause, and I was realizing the contradiction in in what was happening outside with the protesters and a few inside. And when I came out, I think the first thing I said, which was, I think, a fair observation, is were that film made today, I couldn't play that part. That's right. And the same people who, two minutes before they were applauding Milk, were thinking, Kim, about me too. I mean, suddenly we're hardwired into an acceptance. Yeah. And he, does they realize, that's right, because he's not gay, right? If you're not, you know, Asian, you can't play, you can't play Asian, you're not gay, you're not trans, can't play a trans person. So it's, it's just not fair to all the gay actors, not fair to the trans, not fair to this and that, because they've, they're all part, they've all been, you know, indoctrinated into this thinking. So um, Sean Penn starts to step away from this thing. Um, uh, was it Hutton? Um, who's the guy that uh, Tim Robbins Tim Robbins same thing so Robbins was talking about the same sort of thing that goes on with all this woke stuff and even he is like yeah he's not buying it anymore so now the left has moved so far to the left that you've left Sean Penn behind and Tim Robbins behind and Bill Maher behind and Woody Harrelson behind they just start to realize like yeah I'm, I'm getting on that train I'm not getting on crazy train so it, now I don't know if the right will always say, hey, Sean, welcome. I'm sure he would reject all that. But at least to sort of just say, I can't, I can't accept where you're going. And even Bill Maher was saying it's so much like the Red Guard 1966 with China and what was happening with Mao. Mao, after he had failed so miserably with the big uh, leap forward and millions and millions of people died, starved to death. Then Mao realized he was sort of losing all of his power. But he thought, if I could get the young people to be motivated, if I could get the young people to see that I still have strength and I have ideas, I can get the young because the young are more impressionable. Let's get the young. So he faked this swim that he did where he said he was able to swim like seven miles, some ridiculous film of him swimming. It was just nonsense. But he was still hardy and still strong. And the film was shown and people like, wow, this Mao guy. 
guys still got it. Um, and then he was able to get in there into the schools and indoctrinate the kids. They gave them the red guard, the, the book, the little red book they're supposed to read from and get rid of all the old things, old thought, old philosophies, old this, old that. And then he was able to get them all to sort of rile up and go into universities and beat professors with sticks. They would humiliate them and uh, march them around with dumps caps on because they were old thinking. It was all the old thinking, the old way of China. And they tear it all down, tear statues down, burn books. Intellectuals were to be destroyed. I mean, it's the exact same thing. We're indoctrinating them in the schools, but we're using the schools to indoctrinate them, using the professors and the high school teachers and the grade school teachers to indoctrinate these kids. So when they come out, they don't know right from left, up from down. They just know America is horrible. All white people are racist. All black people are oppressed. And there's these groups of people that need to be helped by pulling somebody else down or by redistributing wealth. And capitalism is wrong. He even went on to talk about how Sean Penn talked about socialism. He's like, you know, socialism sucks. It doesn't work. And he would love to be able to engage with people that talk about that. I'm, I'm amazed that to hear these stuff from Sean Penn. Yeah, he even said when Bill Maher and uh, he were talking about the DEI stuff, he said that is a big investment in the hunting of witches. Oh, right. The amount of money that they spend, right? So University of North Carolina spends $11 million a year on DEI um, administrators. $11 million. Yeah. You know, and I forget how many people they said with the University of Michigan, a hundred and some people on staff hunting right. for the witches. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the way, if you look at Joe Biden, the oldest man ever elected to uh, the presidency, his new budget has come out and the billions and billions and billions of dollars of I think it's a six point two trillion dollar budget. The billions of dollars that are dedicated to uh, DEI and equity. And making sure that, uh, you know, certain people get the money, taking it from others and giving it to the select group, the wokesters. That's really something. Anyway, have a great weekend, everybody. And don't forget, as um, this Sherry's favorite little cat says. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, kitty cat. I think it's a dog that says it, too. Can you find that, too? Thank you, Chris. All (laughs) righty. People writing in, Teeny? Yes, they are. Teeny's back in, by the way, Sherry. She's oh, playing. She's playing. feeling she's in a, better. She's in a little wow. bathrobe. Yeah, say hi to her. Oh, hi, Teeny. Sorry you feel bad. There you go. Hi, All yeah, right. whatever. Uh, letter of the day. Kill be chosen by Teeny Tiny Lady. You can write to us at MyNorthwest.com. Come on in. Stay with me. Text like one 888 what kind of what are you eating to make yourself feel better? What are you going to eat? I think they say potato or chicken soup, one or the other. All right. Nate over there, the Beacon Plumbing Traffic Desk. Flush it. Get us home. Here we go. Equal time. Cat says, I love you, Sherry. Right? Yeah. Not to be outdone is a small dog telling you. (laughs) Who said it better? Well, hold on. How about the big dog? Uh, I think Little Dog wins this one. Big Dog not willing to commit. I love you. Is that something I got to do for food? I love you. (laughs) Adidas has a problem because... There's a lack of creativity in every field. What's he talking about? This show? (laughs) Because people are afraid. This is a new mentality. We're not going to teach low self-esteem and hate to our kids. 
We're going to teach our kids that they can stand up for themselves. We're going to teach our kids to believe in themselves. Teach our kids bad English. I don't know what I'm going to lose after this. It don't matter, though, because it ain't about me. It's about ideas, bro. Yeah, bro. Uh, by the way, so that was an Adidas commercial, and Adidas, that was what, seven years ago. And they kept making the sneakers, the Yeezys. And then, unfortunately, they got too many of them because now they've dropped them. And now how many millions of dollars worth of Adidas do they have? $1.3 billion. Oh, uh, oh. Sitting in a warehouse somewhere, and they're trying to figure out what to do about it. And there's a couple of options. They could sell the inventory and donate the profits to do something good. Uh-huh. Um, but if they do that, then they still have to pay. They still have to pay um, him the royalties, Kanye, right? So uh-huh. Kanye, yeah, his, the royalties. So um, and and there are some Jewish leaders who are very upset about the prospect of them selling them. They think they should be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, they think that it sends the wrong signal to still, I guess, benefit from this or to have his products in the marketplace at all. Uh-huh. Um, and so they don't quite know what to do with it. Um, they're, they're leaning toward the idea of, of making these, you know, worthwhile somehow. Someone could use them. They don't think they'll be destroyed if they, if they give them away. Yeah. Um, but they're not sure what to do. All right. Uh, here's my advice. Um, sell them. Don't tell everybody how many you have, but don't, put them online or whatever you can do because people will buy these things because they will never make them again, and then it becomes a collector's item because it's like, oh, my God, this is Kanye West. This is his Adidas before, right after he went crazy and said all these horrible things about Jewish people. You'll make, you know, I don't know how many, $25 million, $30 million, whatever you make on the thing. You take that money and you put it towards some cause, whatever it is that you feel is going to be most effective towards you know, fighting anti-Semitism. And, yeah, he's going to get a small piece of it, but who cares? Um, the government's going to take 50% of it anyway, but you'll do something. The worst thing to do would just be to destroy them. That would be the dumbest thing. Sell them. People will buy them. Hype the hell out of it. I would um, show him saying horrible things. I'd show the sneakers. I would talk about Adidas and then talk about where the money's going to go. But you'd put them online and people would just sweep those things up. I mean, people were buying, you know, Yeezys, Yeezys online and paying thousands of bucks for these things. So... That's the smartest move to make. To destroy them would just be dumb. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Nobody benefits from any of that. Well, uh, Mr. Goulden, who is the uh, CEO, says, if we sell it, I promise that the people who have been hurt by this will also get something good out of this. Uh, He didn't elaborate, but he said that donating the proceeds would make more sense than just giving away the shoes, which have an outsized size value on the resale market among collectors. That's right. Uh, Before all this happened, they sold for hundreds of dollars uh, each pair because they Mm -hmm. resell them. Right. So he's saying if we, you know, if we sell them, we can donate money and. And do good things with it. Yeah. You know, but the other thing is, like, all the stupid stuff he says and stupid stuff other people say. I mean, the Jewish people have been rounded up and murdered and tortured for years and years and years and years and years and years. And words from this guy or from somebody else, um, you know, they're stronger and tougher than that. They Because they've been forged by steel. So... You know, Kanye West, did he really hurt that many people by it? People have to act like they're really hurt by it. But there's plenty of other people that say horrible things about Jewish people every single day. 
You know. yeah, but you wouldn't want him as your spokesperson. No. Got to get ready. Cuts a little bit of a liability. Yeah. All right. Okay. There he is right over there. He is a true asset. Yes, I see you, Nate. Stop it. <laughs> 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 Coughing into your microphone.